Hey everyone, I'm Daniel Miller and I'm with my friend Abel. We're at Tacoa Falls College and today we're coming at you guys with another podcast, but this time it is over creation and our inputs on creation, what the Bible says about creation, and just give you guys an overall view of it. And we're going to hit a couple notes, a couple hot points. In addition to some of the things we're going to be talking about creation is we're also going to be talking about the story of Adam and Eve and the story of the two first brothers, Cain and Abel. In the beginning, Genesis 121, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Just in the beginning, when God, God speak things into existence, and it's so amazing, everything and imagination starts with a thought. When God says something, it is it is done. He said, let there be light, and boom, it was light. And so we're just going to start right there and just break it down. We're going to be talking like Abel said about Cain, and not just him, but Abel as well. Matthew 19.26 says, But Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. A lot of thi- a lot of people, especially atheists, think that it's impossible for God to, cre- to have created every single thing. However, we see that God is all-powerful. Therefore, we know that He can do any single thing He wants to. All He has to do is breathe the word, and that happens. And they say that the, that the Lord, he just breathes stars. He just, he speaks it into existence. And there it is. And, you know, a lot of people, atheists, they say there was a big bang. I tell you what, there was a big thing, big bang. The Lord said, let there be light. And boom, there was light. And it's just so amazing. Even when you, when you look back at the verse in Matthew that he reads, it says, with man, it is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. Whether that's from creation, from a mountain moving, from parting the Red Sea, from the 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 loaves of bread and fish, to the water and to want everything, it's everything you can think of, even miracles in your life, and it all starts as we see in Genesis when the Lord spoke things into creation, and He can speak things into your life. When man is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. Jeremiah thirty two seventeen says, Ah. Lord God, it is you who have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and by your outstretched arm. Nothing is too hard for you. Another thing we see is that God created humans in his own image. Some of the characteristics and attributes we see in God are those of love, compassion, mercy, creativity, which are all the things that we as Christians and communicators should do. We must be creative in what we do, how we do it, and we must always be kind and loving and caring and compassionate to all those around us. Even when those don't deserve it, we should still show them what, how, even when they don't deserve it, we must always remember to mirror Christ who, even though we didn't deserve his grace and mercy, we see that he gave up all his glory, came down to this earth, took the form of a human, and more so of a servant, and he died a miserable death on the cross in order to to forgive us of all our sins and to bring us back into the fold of God the Father. 
And what I want you guys to really just pay attention to and see, even from the beginning of the word, is that we serve a God that can speak things into existence. Things that was not there, they can be there. The Lord can speak things into existence. Our God is not dead. Our God is alive, and he's more alive than ever before. He's always been alive. He is the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. So when you pray, when you talk to the Lord, don't act as if God is dead or he's far away. No, he's in your heart, and he hears you, and he can speak things into existence. He can make things happen. You just have to have faith in him. So, after God created every single thing, we see that he gives humanity the cultural mandate, which is found in Genesis 1.28, which says, And God blessed them, and God said unto them, Be fruitful, and multiply, and replenish the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. We see that God tells us to multiply, especially when he talks to Adam and Eve. We see that he wanted the earth to be, to have, to be fruitful. And in this specific case, we see that God wanted them to have children so that they could multiply upon the face of the earth and have dominion over every single thing. That means not only are we supposed to have rule over every single thing, but we are supposed to have care of every single thing. A lot of times when we think of people having dominion over things, we, seem, we simply think of the rule that comes with it and the power. And a lot of times we think that we can do whatever we want with creation. And many times, especially these days, we see that people take advantage of that and they kill animals and babies for absolutely no no perfectly good reason and we see that god reminds us that we must have dominion over it which means not just to rule but to take care of everything god created and what what the lord giving us responsibility and that's found in genesis 1 26 and he just said um let us make men in our own image and likeness and that we remember that we're made in god's likeness in his image and that when he gives us the dominion over something, that means he don't only gives us power over it, but he gives us a certain standard that he holds us to live up to with that. Not only is that, he shows us that when the Lord gives us power over something, we need to really treat it with respect and we need to we need to take care of it. And it's our he gives us he give he gave us a law, he gave us something to do. Be fruitful and multiply. And another good Another good thing we see in the idea that we, both male and female, are made in God's image means that through this we see that God doesn't really want people to kill others. A lot of times people that commit murder through abortion, we see that they say they have the right to life. However, they're not the only ones who have that right. We see that every single thing, every single person has the right to life. And that doesn't entitle them to simply put the other person's life in jeopardy simply because they don't want it. We see that we are all created in God's image and therefore we all have the right to live because we're all meant 
to have a specific purpose in our lives and glorify God through it. And is there any specific verses that you know of that points to abortion and say that it's wrong and was it even done back then? Definitely. One big verse we see in the Bible is found in Exodus, which is when God is giving the commandments to the to the Israelites. However, a lot of the commandments that he gave to the Israelites, he also gave to us, such as the fact that we must not kill, and that includes even babies who, even though they can't fend for themselves, they are still humans, and they are made in the image of God. Right, and we don't, from what I know of, we do not have a cure for AIDS, for cancer, for herpes, for a lot of things. And how do we know that the Lord is not putting them inside these little babies' brains? But we're killing them. We're killing them. And so, um, yeah, sad. it's a sad thing. And the Lord specifically tells us in Genesis to be fruitful and multiply. Another thing we see is that God rested on the seventh day. From this, we see that God didn't necessarily rest on the seventh day because he was tired. Because we know that God can do all things and he does not grow tired of doing things. But he simply rested on the seventh day to give us an example of what we should do. And a lot of people, especially a lot of Christians, look at this verse and they think that this excuses them from doing any work. We see that even the Pharisees did this. However, we must always remember that if we're doing something good, we have every right to work on the Sabbath day. We see that Jesus was even criticized for this by the Pharisees and other leaders of the law because he had mercy on a person that was sick and he stretched out his hand and healed that person. However, he was doing something good. Although he worked, he wasn't doing it for himself. He was doing it for someone else to show love to that person. Right, correct. I, I agree with that. And um, it's just like, the, yeah, Jesus, he did not need, God did not need to rest. But sometimes we do need rest. And it's, it's a way that we can slow down. But also to, we keep in mind that the Sabbath day that should remain holy, that we know that, hey, this is the day that we're going to give to the Lord. In Matthew 12, 12, it says, So the law allows a person to do what is good on the Sabbath. And again, this reiterates the fact that whenever we're doing work, even on the Sabbath day, if we're not doing it for ourselves and we're doing it out of love for others, we have every right to work. And a lot of times students think that this excuses them from not doing their homework on Sundays and stuff like that. <laughs> I think a lot of times, a lot of us tend to do that. However, if we don't do it for selfish reasons for ourselves, and we have this mindset that we're doing it in order to get a good job, to make money and help those around us, God commands us to actually do that work on the Sabbath day. That's funny. Um, yes, to, to me, honestly, the, the biggest thing is, are we working on a Sabbath day to help 
make other people's lives better and our family lives better? Or are we working on a Sabbath day to become more greedy, to have more money? And there's a big difference in those two. So the next thing we see in this story of creation is that God forbids Adam and Eve to eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. We see that God created so many trees and so many things Adam and Eve could have eaten from. However, even though he created this one specific tree called the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, he forbids Adam and Eve from eating from that. And we see that at first Adam and Eve obey him. Later on, we see that they fall for Satan's trap and they eat from that tree. And when they ate from that tree, to me, that made them just like God because they they said to themselves, God is no longer in control over us or we no longer worship God, but we're going to make decisions for ourselves. And we are just like the gods. And when they did that, didn't like a, didn't like a skin break from their eyes, almost like a contact lens fall from their eyes and they could see that they were naked. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Why do you think that was? Why do you think their eyes were 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 um almost of this? Their eyes were um were covered, where they couldn't see that they were naked, or they were oblivious to oblivious to, to um sin. Well, I believe the reason for this is because they were completely righteous in a way, and they didn't have that knowledge of good and evil. So for them, being naked was nothing wrong. We see that when they sinned, sin when they fell for Satan's lie, sin entered into the world, and then their eyes were open, and they saw what was good and what was wrong, and they became embarrassed of their nakedness, and they tried to cover that up, and so they made clo- little clothes of leaves and stuff in order to cover their nakedness. And that that almost reminds me of an animal, even a dog. A dog does not know that it's naked. It's just running around. And we don't even see a dog, honestly, as being naked. But the dogs have no clothes on or anything. But I guarantee if their eyes were open and they knew better and they knew, they would be so embarrassed that they have no clothes on. Another thing we see is that Satan is the father of deception. Um, We see in this story that Satan goes to Adam and Eve in the form of a snake and we see that he doesn't necessarily lie to them but he deceives them rather and he used this deception in order to get them to fall for his tricks and obviously we see that Eve easily fell for it and a lot of times we blame Eve for falling for the fruit for falling for his deception But we must always keep in mind that Adam must have been like right there next to her. And even though he was the man, he didn't really advise Eve not to fall for his trick. But rather, he took the fruit also and he ate from it as well. Right. He is just as guilty as her. And and the the devil, he's the author of confusion, the author of lies. And there are many times where you feel like you have to do a certain thing or you almost have to sin, but you really don't. You can just look to see the the, the escape rope that the Lord has set for you. 1 John 1.9 says, 
If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We must always remember that whenever we do something wrong, we must always confess our sins to God instead of trying to hide from them, which is what Adam and Eve did. Instead of going directly to God asking him for forgiveness and confessing their sins after they did so, we see that they try to hide from God. But we see God walks upon the earth and he comes to Adam and Eve and even though he knows what they did, he specifically asks them. He, well, he first comes to him. He says, where are you? Why are you hiding from me? Where are you? Because he will walk with them in with, with them in the garden each day by day. And for the first time, they were nowhere to be seen. They were nowhere to be found. And they were hiding from the Lord. And they came and they called out and they said, Lord, we're basically we're ashamed. We're naked. And then he said, who told you you were naked? How did you know that? And we see that Adam and Eve, instead of taking the blame for themselves, taking the consequences, we see that they started throwing blames at each other. Adam blames Eve for giving the apple to him. And then Eve blames the snake for deceiving her. We see that a lot of times when we do something wrong, we try to throw the blame on someone else instead of being responsible and taking the blame for ourselves, realizing that it was us who made the specific mistake and no one around us pushed us to do that. We must always remember to be responsible in everything we do because one day God will counter call us to account for those things that we did. How, how many how many of us or how many people have you heard when they go, oh I did this sin oh because of my friends or they I've even gone to say oh the devil tempted me the devil did this but when it comes down to it, it's the decision that you made not the decision that the devil made not the decision that your friends made your mom made none of these people can get you into heaven only decision that you can make whether to sin or whether to have eternal life with the Father and have a relationship with them. Now, one of the things we must keep in mind is that although we should be responsible and take responsibility for our own actions, we must remember that peer pressure is a really big thing, especially in these days. And if we're around the wrong type of crowd, they can pull us down. However, in order for that not to happen, we must always remember to be with people who are righteous and to try to help us grow not only spiritually but in ways that are pleasing not only to men but to God as well. We see in the Bible that it says that God, that Jesus grew not only in the likeness of men but also in the likeness of God. And just who... The birds of a feather flock together. Iron sharpens iron. The people that you're around, bad company corrupts evil. A lot of times when our parents give us advice, especially as teenagers and young adults, we try to stay away, stay away from that. We oftentimes listen to our friends because in our eyes, they're more popular to us. However, we must always remember to listen to our parents and obey them because 
they're far older than us and they've been through so many different experiences. They know what they're talking about. My question is, how can, how can, it's almost difficult to do that though, because we think, how can they relate to us when they were born 40 years ago and they didn't even have, we have social media, we have so many different things than they have now. So do we listen to the advice they're giving us or do we take that advice and get out the core value, the core meaning of the device, the, the, um, the advice that they're giving us? So as we move along with the story, we see that through Adam's and Eve's sin, we see that evil entered into the world. And a lot of times people think that God created evil. However, we must try to stay away from that because we must always remember that God did not create that which is evil because evil is not a thing. Evil and sin is simply the lack of obedience, the lack of something which is good. And the for the wages of sin is death, but the gift to God is eternal life. Another thing to keep in mind is that although a lot of evil happens, that's not because of God's fault. We see a lot of times that God allows something evil to happen, but that is simply not his fault. He gave us free will and what people do with what they are given, what they have is entirely up to them. We see that God tries to speak uh, to people through many different mediums in order to get them to do what is right. But in the end, it's up to the person to decide what they will do, whether that is good or evil. Well, I have a question for you, Abel. You said that if something bad happened, you said it looked, you basically said if something bad happened is not God's fault. But when something good happens, we praise this to the Lord. So, whose fault is it when something bad happened? And why, if, the, if we love God so much, why do we not blame Him for the bad that happens? How come we only give Him credit for the for the good things that happen in life? Well, I would say that. Like I said, God gave people free will and when something bad happens, when someone chooses to do something bad, it's that person's fault. We shouldn't blame somebody else. We, we must take responsibility for our actions. Say a murderer goes to shoot someone. It's not God's fault that that person shot the, pers the other person. God gave that person, the shooter, a free will. And while God can't stop him, Sometimes we see that God uses even bad stuff and turns them into good. Sometimes a person's death can bring honor and glory to God's name and can bring encouragement to someone else because sometimes we see that someone else had a, a death and the person who went through this uh, recent death can be encouraged by the person who lost someone like maybe a few weeks or a few months earlier. Mm -hmm. Perfect, perfect. Another thing we also see is that because we are so imperfect, we see that there is room for grace. Think about this. If God made, made us all perfect and he made us all sinless, that wouldn't really leave space for grace, for God to show us grace. And that would mean that we're all like robots. And 
honestly, that would be completely unfair because we would have no choice of whether or not we can do what we want. We see God's grace even through this, even through our weaknesses. 2 Corinthians 12, 9 says, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. And the Bible says when, when we are weak, he is strong. And once again, that what is impossible for man is possible with the Lord. He works hand in hand with us. He wants a relationship with us. He cries out for a relationship with us. And don't look down on yourself for your flaws or for the sin. Just know that you have a loving God that's perfect and that's willing to take you the way you are. One thing that we must be careful not to fall into is to fall into this idea that if God's grace and mercy covers us, that means we can do whatever we want. We see a lot of relativists take this, take God's grace for granted, and they think to themselves, okay, well, if God's grace and mercy covers me, then I can do absolutely what I want, and at the end of the day, when Jesus comes, I'll still be saved. However, that's not how God works. Even though God's grace is abounding, we must always remember to try to do our best. As Christians, we'll never reach per perfection until Jesus comes. But until then, we must always strive to reach perfection. And the Lord doesn't want us to be robots. He just wants our hearts. And he's not going to just randomly destroy you after you sin. But he wants a relationship with you. If that was the case, he would have just killed Adam and Eve. But no, he said, I love you guys and a relationship with you guys. And then we further go into when Adam and Eve even had kids, if you want to touch on that. or. Mm -hmm. So we see that Adam and Eve are kicked out of the garden. However, and we see that God places an angel with the sword at the entrance of the garden so that Adam and Eve can't get back in. However, even though they're kicked out of the garden, which is basically like a place of perfection, we see that God's grace still abounds. We see that God still shows mercy to them and helps them and guides them. And he shows his love by promising them and all of humanity a savior, which is to come through Jesus Christ. Um, as Adam and Eve go on, we see that they have two sons. One is named Cain and the other one is named Abel. And through this story, we see the first murder in history taking place. We see that both Cain and Abel, they, give, they both give offerings to God. However, it was Abel's offering that was pleasing towards God. Danny, why do you think this was so? Well, if you before, if you personally ask me why I think for so, it's because I would say he probably had the biggest, the best, the most delicious, the best smelling gift ever. But in actuality, why was it? Why was it the best and better than his brothers? Because his brothers, correct? His brothers was better than his physically and everything. So explain why. Well, we see the reason why God liked Abel's offering better is that Abel's offering was from the heart. Oftentimes, we think that. Abel's offering was tangibly better, which may or may not have been the, the case. But the real thing is that Abel's offering was entirely from the heart. Where was Cain offering from then? 
the stomach just playing what was Kane's offering from and why was his so different I believe Kane's offering was out of a sense of obligation um, and even in the Bible we see that God reminds us when we do stuff out of obligation instead of out of love from our hearts we see that that's not the proper attitude we must have we must always remember to do everything everything that we do out of love for others and in this case we we see that Abel gave his offering to God out of his heart and not out of a sense of obligation and this over and over and over whether it's in creation whether the first book of the Bible from gener- from Genesis to Revelation this is the perfect story that God isn't impressed by us giving him Oh, you know what, God? I'm just going to donate $10,000 to help these kids out. I'm, I'm, I'm rich. I'm going to donate $10,000 to help these kids out. Or, you know what, God? I'm going to live in a smaller house. And because I'm giving 10000 this other person is only giving $100. I'm better than this person. No, forget all of that. What the Lord really wants, and it's the same thing that he wanted from the rich young ruler. He wants our hearts. He doesn't want our money. He doesn't want our fame. He doesn't want our clothes he doesn't want our offering he doesn't want our wife he doesn't want anything he just wants our heart and a genuine relationship with him we must also keep in mind that we see when the little woman at the temple goes and she gives what she had which was a little coin into the offering bin we see that the disciples and other people around her thought that the people who gave more, their offering was better. However, Jesus tells them that the offering of the little woman was far greater than what the other people gave. Because for her, that little coin was every, everything that she had. And we see that in our days, that little coin was probably worth less than a penny. But God commends this woman for that because it was truly everything she had and she gave it to God out of her heart. And that, that's just amazing. That's just giving, giving. That's what the Lord wants from him. He wants our all. He doesn't want 10%. He doesn't want, oh, because I gave more to him or I gave up this and this person only giving this. No, he wants you individually. He wants your heart. And that's what he wants. He wants a relationship with you. He loves, he would love to have a relationship with you. He loves us. We must always remember to, whenever we give, to give out of love instead of out of a sense of obligation. We look into 1 Corinthians 13.1, which says, If I speak in tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast but do not have love, I gain nothing. And how can some people say they love the father but hate their brother? It's impossible. Love. Love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. In this story, we see that Cain was so jealous 
because God favored Abel's offering over his, and we see that one sin leads into another. First, it was the sin that Cain gave what he gave out of a sense of, of obligation. And then we see his jealousy led into another sin. It led him to killing Abel. And it's, it's best just to do the right thing the first time and not be jealous, you know? That's what it all stems from. There's people in the world that we live in today where they're jealous of what other people have. They, and in this case, it was two brothers. You see one brother that, even though he gave less, but he gave his best. Whereas the other brother, even though he gave his more, but he gave less of himself towards Christ. And he just turned out to be jealous and killed his brother. Jealousy. Jealousy is evil and it's wicked. You don't know what the next person is going through. But as long as you see them giving their best and giving their all, that's enough for Christ. So it should be enough for you and want you to pray for him. Proverbs 27.4 says, Anger is cruel and fury overwhelming, but who can stand before jealousy? We see all throughout the Bible and then even all throughout other history books that we see that jealousy leads to so many sins. We see that in David's case, he was jealous of, uh, of someone else's wife and he decided that he wanted to have her. So he took her as his own and we see that led into another sin. He it led him to killing the husband of Bathsheba. And and there's just no there's just no turnout good for anything that comes from jealousy. And I honestly believe a lot of people wouldn't be jealous if they seen what other people have gone through. If they don't see the other people's failures and the other people's faith that they have in Christ, if they seen the other people's failure, they wouldn't be so jealous and they realize they can do things for themselves. And this creation is just amazing and how it all wraps out and how it all unfolds. And just the, the, the very first book of the Bible, Genesis, and it all points towards God's grace and God's love and the longing for a relationship with us. And we see that even though Cain didn't really give to God out of his heart, and then he became jealous of his brother Abel and ends up killing him, we see that God's grace and mercy still abounds. We see that even though Cain goes away from his family and he goes out into the world that is unknown to him, we see God's grace and mercy still follows him. We see that God promises to revenge to revenge him if anyone even tries to, to touch Cain. And we can apply this to our lives. Even though we sin a lot of times, we must remember that as long as we confess our sins to God, and trust in his forgiveness and in his mercy, we see that God will see us through. And we must always keep in mind that God works together everything for the good of those that love him. I love that, Abel. And um, I just love this, just the story of Genesis. It's so amazing. And I hope you guys just learn something from tuning in with us and just know that Christ loves you. He wants a relationship with you. There's no need to be jealous. And that Christ will take you from the way that you are. And he 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 isn't he isn't a God that 
is controlling that makes us a robot, but he's just a guy that stands at the door and just constantly knocks. And he wants you to let him in and have a relationship with him. Thank you guys for tuning in with us.